Welcome to the London Lyceum, where we try to encourage listeners, especially our Baptist listeners, to think deeply and clearly. Think about their faith, think about their church, think about their life, and think about God. We're analytic, Baptist, and confessional. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the episode. I'd love to welcome you to the inaugural episode of the LNL podcast, which is short for the London Lyceum. I am your co-host, Jordan Stefaniak. And I'm your other co-host, Brandon Askew. And we are very excited to have you here today. I have no idea who's going to be listening to this podcast, but we're hopeful it's really useful for you and you really enjoy listening. So what we're going to do in this inaugural introduction episode, rather than jumping right into a meaty, weighty content issue, uh, like a lot of podcasts choose to do, we're going to do more of just kind of an introduction. Who are we? Uh, what is the goal of the podcast? Where are we heading with it? Uh, so you can kind of get a sense of if you even want to listen, which I hope you do. So I hope I don't turn anybody off with what I talk about. Uh, hopefully we're enjoyable enough to listen to that you come back and try a couple more episodes. But anyway, I want to begin with who we are. So why don't you tell Brandon, you tell us a little bit about yourself as much as you want, as little as you want, uh, as exciting or boring as you want. Hopefully leave out the boring stuff and we'll get to know you a little bit. Yeah, so I was uh, born and raised in Henderson, North Carolina, which is a small town um, not far from here where we are. Very small town. Yeah, um, not far from Wake Forest, which is where we are right now. Um, I was raised in the church. My family was very involved uh, in the local church as I was um, growing up. And, but when I left um, to go to college, um, I strayed away from the Lord um, pretty heavily for the first um, seven or eight years of my adult life. And um, about 2013, um, God drew me back to himself. And um, around that time, not long after that, um, I met my wife, uh, Katie, and we were uh, engaged just a few months after we actually went on our first date. And we have a I have a pretty funny first date story that relates to Calvinism, but I'll, I'll say that for later. Um, <laughs> I so know I know that. actually, um, so we, so we met, like I said, fall of 2014, we were engaged not long after that. And then we got married uh, in 2015 and in 2017, we had our first son, Coley. Uh, so he is two years old now and we have another son on the way who's due in about six weeks. Uh, at the time of this recording, he may be here by the time this is actually released. I don't know, but um, right now I have two jobs. I work for a healthcare company, um, and I do that job from home and, um, we staff physicians, um, at about 30 to 40 different hospitals, uh, across the country. So you're living the millennial dream working from home is what you're telling me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, I'm also part-time at a church. I'm one of the pastors at, um, a small Southern Baptist church. Uh, in Henderson, Harriet Baptist Church. We've been there since January of 2018. So been there about a year and a half now. We love it there. The people are very sweet to us. Uh, so I'm thankful to be part of that uh, congregation. Um, let's see. I am a student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. I just completed an MA in Christian philosophy and graduated with that uh, this past May. And I'm also working on a Master of Divinity. I only have six or seven classes left, and then I will be finished with that uh, and done with my seminary education. That's what he says. Yeah, no, that'll be it. I'll be done. <laughs> I'll be done. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll just leave it there, and we'll, we'll turn it back over to you, and then I'll get in more detail about the, the other stuff that we want to. Awesome. So I could tell you I've got the most basic 
Christian testimony uh, that you can probably think of, at least basic American evangelical testimony. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad's a pastor. I'm a goody two shoes. I become a believer when I'm seven years old. I pray the prayer. I guess I pray the prayer by myself. So it's technically not 100% mm. on brand, but I was baptized three days later by my dad, uh, Weldon Spring Baptist Church in O'Fallon, Missouri. And then from there, you know, I, 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 we, we were in more of a traditional church early on, I think. And I think that's just because there weren't all these contemporary cool churches on. Uh, but I think it was about when I was like in fifth grade ish, we came to a church where my dad was a pastor and basically think Disneyland, but like a hundred times less cool. <laughs> think concert, but 20 times less cool. So basically the goal of their church is to be as cool as possible to try to convince people to come to church. But that's my context. I'm growing up in this giant, I guess most people would say is a mega church that is, you know, basically an ice cream cone with, with uh, a giant stomach egg at the end and no real content depth there. I go on, go on to college after that at a school that will remain unnamed with a, with a president that will definitely remain unnamed. I think you could just leave it there and everybody would be able to guess what school it is. Okay. But sure. you can continue, but I'm just the, the unnamed president is that, enough. That, that's, that's probably <laughs> true. I've already probably given it away. So I'm 17. I'm looking at colleges, Christian colleges, because, you know, I, I'm typical white boy Christian at that moment in time. And I want to go to the coolest Christian college. So I want to go to the one that actually has sports teams and actually has uh, stuff. Um, not a ski slope yet, eventually go there, have a great time, um, learn a ton. And I'll talk a little bit about, more about my experience there later. Uh, but then after that, I go to Southern seminary, get a master of divinity. Then I move to Wake Forest, North Carolina, where I'm at now and go to Southeastern for a THM in philosophy and great experiences. Honestly, all of them, uh, for the most part, thinking my family, I've got two brothers who are IT wizards. Uh, I've got an amazing wife who is really awesome. So she loves photography. She loves to make our place cozy. She loves to love our son, who's almost nine months old, who I have a blast with every night, except for tonight. Normally I feed him every night and I give him a bath and then I play with him. But here I am podcasting. So <laughs> shout out to my amazing wife, who, by the way, I really hope she does this, but she talked about making a podcast with her mom. And that would be the funniest thing I've ever experienced in my life because my mother-in-law is unbelievably funny. I could just, oh man, I, I don't know what to say right now because I think she might get mad if she listens to this, but I'm just going to tell you she's really funny and I really hope she starts a podcast. Anyway, that's my family. Um, I'm here in Wake Forest. I work in North Raleigh at a mortgage insurance company doing data analysis which probably sounds boring to most of you all. So I'll ignore that part. Um, what else do I do? I don't know. I'm a member at a local church. I've been on staff at other churches in my, in my past right now, just focusing on studies, uh, loving my family. You and umpire baseball. I do umpire baseball mm -hmm. less than I used to, mm -hmm. since I have a young son now, uh, I used to do it all the time. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, I've, I found that people here in Wake Forest or at least in the Raleigh area are a little bit more on edge than I've experienced in other cities. Really? Yeah. And I've huh. seen better prospects in Louisville, Kentucky play and less 
grief. Maybe it's just because I'm getting old and I've realized Probably that because we have all the, the Northern transplants that live around here. Oh, well, that may be true. That would make a lot of sense. I don't know, but yeah. you know, even nine year olds are angry, just as angry as the college <laughs> kids. So it's kind of weird. Anyway, that's me in a nutshell. Um, one thing I want to kind of introduce our listeners to is to kind of get a flavor of who we are as well as our favorite theologian, favorite philosopher. Obviously we're talking about Christian theology on this podcast a lot. So it would make sense to talk about our theologian. Uh, depending on who you are as an audience member, you may already know all these guys and just say, yeah, these are like um, theologians are like playing cards to you. So you, you're excited to find out who these people like. and Or, or maybe you're going to hear a bad answer and think, man, this is a waste of my time to listen to people like that. Or maybe you're a listener who's just normal and you have never heard of any of these people. And I hope that I commend these to you as people to maybe engage and to encounter and to study and to learn from. So Brandon, who would you say are your favorite theologians? Yes, yeah, so I'll I'll list three, and uh, none of these are um, going to be uh, shockers. They're all pretty well known guys. But um, so I've developed a, a passion over the last three or four years of um, really trying to bring uh, rich theology to um, the layperson and to the pew. Um, so with that said, um, R.C. Sproul is definitely one of my favorite theologians because that's what his legacy is is um that's what ligonier uh, was founded to do was to bring good theology to the layperson so uh, rc would definitely be uh, one of my favorites uh, my second would be john piper um i really love to read um his books i love his passion for god um, i don't always agree with everything he says but i don't agree with you know everything that anybody says so um definitely piper would be um, another one of my favorites, his book, The Justification of God, uh, on Romans chapter nine was a game changer for me for sure. So, um, he's a favorite. And lastly, uh, Sinclair Ferguson, his book on the Holy Spirit, um, in the, um, IVP series, Contours of, um, Theology, I think it's called, uh, is one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah. He, he, that's money in the bank. If you ask me, it's basically Steph Curry shooting a three. <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's definitely needed to re, be read by anyone and everyone. Yeah. So th- those would be my three. Um, you know, like I said, nothing too crazy or obscure. They're all pretty well-known guys, but um, they've, they've been pretty influential uh, for me. Awesome. And as far as my favorite theologians, I'm going to have to say Paul Helm, Oliver Crisp, Herman Bovink and Carl Truman. Now I want to have to defend three of those, uh, at least from some of you more astute listeners, because you're going to say, well, Paul Helm's not a theologian and neither, neither is Oliver Crisp or Carl Truman. And I'm going to say, no, that's bull crap. Oliver, Oliver Crisp is definitely a theologian, even though he's trained as a philosopher, does more philosophical theology. He's, he's definitely a theologian. Paul Helm, I think does enough theology for me to say, yes, he counts. And then, Carl Truman, I have to say, honestly, I've learned more theology to some extent from church historians than I have from anybody else. Uh, I experienced Carl Truman for the first time when I graduated from college. Uh, During the summer, I listened to his 12 lectures on the medieval church, terrible sound quality, but gold. Uh, and through that experience, I encountered more deep theology that I had never heard of through four years of college studying religion that I experienced here in Carl Truman in 12 lectures on the medieval church. So I have to say, Carl Truman counts as a theologian in my book. Now, for what I know all of you are waiting on the edge of your seat for, 
philosophers. Who's your favorite philosopher? Uh, so my favorite philosopher is someone that you just named as one of your favorite theologians. So Paul Helm would be um, my favorite philosopher. He um, he wrote the book, The Providence of God, in the same series um, that Ferguson wrote the the volume on the Holy Spirit, that IVP series. Um, so that book has definitely been formative for me. Um, so I, I really like Paul Helm. Um, and just as a side note, I'm not going to say he's one of my favorite philosophers, but right now I'm, I'm listening through um, Greg Bonson's lectures on the history of philosophy. And it's really good stuff. So um, he's definitely an enjoyable guy. Um, yeah, Bonson's a stud. Yeah, I've only read a couple of his books. And like I said, I'm, I'm uh, listening through this uh, lecture series at the moment. Uh, and it's really good. So he's definitely um, somebody. And I guess it would be bad for him for me to, to say wealthy. But uh, Well, you've got a man crush on him, so it counts. I, I do, a little bit. But hopefully he won't hear this episode. And, uh, but he, he knows that I love him. So um, I really learned a lot from Dr. Welty yeah. at Southeastern. Uh, he's a... Underrated, yeah. Big I mean, time. and uh, he he's very committed to the local church. Um, so he probably doesn't write as much as you know some other philosophers, and I think it's for yeah. that reason. That's his, good. His commitment to the church. So, um, but a super yeah. super sharp guy. I've got to say, all of you need to check him out. I he supervised my THM thesis, and I learned more from him than I've got to say. I, I really learned from anyone that I've experienced. I think thus far, yeah. And just super sharp thinker, super gracious. And funny uh, guy. I mean, he's got funny. some sharp wit about him. He's, he's a great dude. Yeah. Love, love, love Dr. Welty. So uh, shout out to him. Now my favorite philosophers, I, I've got to give, I know this is the lame answer if you know philosophers, but Alvin Plantiga is the bomb.com. <laughs> I, I, I know that's like plain vanilla, but just, he was the first philosopher I was introduced to. And his stuff is just so good. Uh, it's so clear. It's so useful. It's it's so funny. Uh, I mean, just his own personality. I, I love. I I remember a story about him. Uh, I I heard from one of my professors who was a student of his. I guess Plantig was going on about Thomas Aquinas's view on something, and Eleanor Stump, who's another philosopher in the back, says. Well, Alvin, I, I, I don't know if Thomas really thought that. And Alvin's response was, well, maybe he doesn't. It doesn't really matter. It's an interesting thing to think about. And I, I just <laughs> love his, you know, his just kind, generous disposition, uh, his humor uh, and, and the way he writes. But really, my favorite philosophers would definitely have to be, I think, William Alston. He is just so good. I wish he was still alive writing because uh, he really came on the scene. Uh, he was more like, you know, he was older when analytic theology and stuff that I really like kind of came bursting on. So he didn't get a full career out of it, but he would have been awesome at it. And then Tom Morris, uh, really his book, Logic of God Incarnate was probably one of my first philosophical theology type encounters. And it was a game changer. I'd never read anything that was engaging biblical texts, engaging biblical thought at such a deep and useful level as I did with Tom Morris. So I've got to say those guys. Um, and now I kind of want to shift gears a little bit and talk about what, what the podcast is, uh, what the goal is. So maybe you've seen London Lyceum and maybe you have no idea what London means or Lyceum or both either. So London is simply referring to the Baptist confessional crown jewel, the second London Baptist confession of faith. That's all it's referring to. So it's basically identifying us as 
Baptists who are reformed, depending on who you ask, maybe particular. <laughs> That's a niche joke. Um, There's someone on Twitter that <laughs> would not be happy if we use the reformed Baptist label. Well, I don't even Which, think we need to tell you who that is, but I'm pumped. I really, I really hope he reads my article that's coming out on Reformed Baptists. Oh goodness! Uh, you should send him an autograph copy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to send Mark Driscoll an autograph copy because no. I, I hear he's uh, offering autographs and yeah. probably would like that. Uh, <laughs> um. So yeah, that's that's the point of the London. It's just it's talking about our Baptist uh, identity. Um. Lyceum, all that really is is a fancy word for Aristotle's Academy. So Aristotle is a philosopher. He's a student of Plato. Uh, Plato had his group where they would discuss things, debate things, called the Academy. Aristotle starts his own, calls it the Lyceum. So here we are, two L's. It's perfect, smooth, smooth, silky smooth, rolls off the tongue, L and L. You got to love it. So that's that's why we named it the way we did. Uh, and that kind of gives you the content of what we want to want to encounter and engage, which is analytic theology, Baptist theology, and confessional theology. In the coming episodes, we're going to talk about those three things more in depth. I'm not going to do that too much here. Just kind of want to tell you that th- those are the topics and the goals. Um, besides that, I've got to say the ultimate goal of the podcast, besides just, I guess, me and Brandon hanging out and talking. I mean, this is honestly, this is the third and a half attempt at this uh, first two, I guess I screwed up as far as volume goes. So we we've done this twice now uh, at least. And then one time I accidentally turned off the power like an idiot and recorded without realizing we weren't actually recording, but besides, this one's getting uploaded no matter what. So, <laughs> so besides us just enjoying hearing each other talk and doing that, we really want to engage uh, our listeners, especially our Baptist listeners to think deeply and clearly about issues, particularly theological issues, because what I found, what have I have experienced and seen is Baptists, along with pretty much every other American church group, they don't use their minds. They don't think. They're complete pragmatists. No. There there is no theological depth. And I and I know all you like all three of you people in the OPC just amen. <laughs> um but the reality is I don't think we think so part of the goal of this podcast is to kind of model and to develop habits of thought that help Baptists and other, other Christians think deeply about their faith, think clearly about their faith, uh, engage these issues at, at a deep level. And we're going to do it in a confessional context. And that basically means that we are going to say, we agree with this body of truth that's been written down in the Second London Confession of Faith. So you don't have to wonder what we believe. You can go look up the Second London Confession of Faith and find Brandon and Jordan believe this. And that's what we believe. So that's kind of the goal of the podcast. Uh, That's kind of the context. And with that said, I do want to ask Brandon, how and why are you a Baptist? And why do you agree with this Second London Confession that's commonly called 1689, uh, which maybe we should call it 1677 because of all the heat it's getting? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I was I was raised a Baptist, um, but more of the um, dispensational strife, I guess you'd say. <clears throat> and I was really just I've heard the phrase, you know, a Baptist of convenience. Um, it's just kind of how I was raised. I just that was that was the way things were. I never really put much thought into it. And as I said earlier, I um, I strayed away from the Lord for 
quite some time. And then when I came back, I, I became I'm pretty, pretty quickly thereafter uh, convinced of, of Calvinism. Um, and at that time, I started reading um, a lot of Presbyterian uh, authors, which I think is probably the case for most Baptists who become Calvinists. Because um, I found that Baptists don't do good theology. So you have to read the Presbyterians. Yeah. So um, obviously, you know, I encountered their brand of covenant theology and R.C. Sproul, Sinclair Ferguson, two of your right. favorite theologians. Yeah. So, um, but I never, I was never really tempted um, by, you know, pedo baptism. Pious Baptist. That's right. I think Jordan <laughs> will give you a, a, a different uh, testimony on that. He definitely almost became a Presbyterian, but um, yeah, so I, I definitely, you know, I went back and searched the scriptures and I um, was definitely still convinced of, of um, credo baptism. But then, um, you know, I, I was trying to really figure out where my theology was and what I um, believed in detail. So I, I, I flirted around with um, with New Covenant theology for a bit, read two or three books on that, but I just wasn't convinced by um, how they understood God's law um, and, and the role it plays. So I kind of left that behind and I thought, well, Baptist Covenant theology would be the next thing to try out. So I started reading some books there and, I, you know, obviously I encountered the 1689 and um, from then on, you know, I just kind of learned a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And um, I finally came to a point where, you know, I was like, I, I think this is the best summary of um, the teaching of the scriptures. So um, that's kind of how I, I got to that place um, as far as, um, you know, how I became a Baptist of uh, more conviction than just one of convenience. Sweet. Yeah. And when I first met you on Twitter, no less. Yeah. Uh, and here we are, friends in real life. You were trending 1689. Yeah, I, so I put that because I think sometimes with the way labels get used, um, it's just um, maybe a little sloppy. Like, oh, well, you know, I've read this confession one time and it, you know, I thought it was cool. So now I'm going to put this in my profile, you know, that I, you know, I subscribe to the 1689 or whatever. But I really wanted to study it out and read through it a number of times and, you know, read through um you know, books that are written by, you know, 1689 authors and, and things like that before I, I really could say that I, you know, um, really am behind what this uh, confession is teaching. So that's why I had the, the trending word in there, but um, I definitely, uh, I'd say I'm there now. So Awesome. And for those of you who don't, like you keep throwing this word confession, keep throwing this 1689 Second London Confession, just think of your own local church. It probably has a statement of faith of some sort about what they believe. That's basically what this is. It's just old, right? Um, written, you know, in the 17th century, and published in 1689. That's what that is. We're just saying we agree with this old one, and it's been used, tried and true, and it's good stuff. Yeah, and so the church that I'm actually at now is is not a 1689 church. Um, I'm really actually just last night I was I was um, leading um, Bible study, and you know I was really trying to to get our our people to understand what a confession is. And, um, you know, they seemed really interested in it. You know, I talked about the 1689, but basically, um, just the idea of what a confession is and, and, you know, how it can be used. And we'll get into that more detail, um, in a later episode, but, um, so, you know, just full transparency, I am not a part of a 1689 church right now. Um, but I'm serving where, where God has put me and we'll see, um, what direction things go here, um, at my church. Awesome. And I guess for me, I mean, Baptist, I, you know, I grew up a Baptist. That's just kind of the way I was. 
Uh, obviously, the, the church through my middle and high school years, they were technically Southern Baptist, but they would hide that. You know, they're the <laughs> cool community church, uh, whatever, you know, that was what was trending at that time. Um, so they took out the Baptist, but I was still, you know, as much as a Baptist you, as you can be, your typical Baptist. And my first experience with anything that would kind of like move me toward more of a, I guess, second London type of theology, more reformed, more Calvinistic was my, my junior year of high school. I am bugged to death to go to this youth group of my friends at a PCA church. I didn't know anything about PCA other than my uncle was PCA. So I go there and then this youth pastor talks about God choosing you. And I'm thinking, what is, what, this is ludicrous. So I end up talking to him for two hours. Um, he, shows me all these Bible verses. I think he's crazy. I go home. I pull up my strong concordance. I see the word faith in there like 30,000 times. So I conclude, yes, he's a nut job. You, you, God doesn't choose you. I choose God. I continue on rabid anti-Calvinist, think they're crazy lunatics until junior year of college. I'm forced to memorize Ephesians 2 when it's in Greek. And then there I encountered that I was dead in sin. And I realized a dead corpse can't do anything. It can't believe in God on its own. It needs to be made alive. God has to do that. So it radically changed me, became a Calvinist, started reading everything you could get your hands on Calvinistic wise. And because of that, I went to Southern Seminary because, well, it's Calvinist school. I'm a Calvinist. Duh. Go there. So I went there and great experience. After I graduated is when I really kind of, firmed up my belief in why I'm a Baptist because I didn't really think about it. I once again engaged that youth pastor in that PCA church and we had like a two year conversation on baptism. And I actually almost became a Pado Baptist. I had about 50 reasons why you should become a Pado Baptist in a word document about seven pages long and single spaced, sent it to all my friends trying to like, hey, help me think through this. I was probably a Pado Baptist for about a month. <laughs> And then I backed off of that ledge and I've got this article coming out in the Journal of Biblical Theological Studies on Reformed Baptist Identity, which is basically the fruit of my struggle with that and the conclusion that I came to of how I can be Baptist and Reformed at the same time. So that's how I came to there. As far as like 1689 goes, that was seminary, Tom Nettles church history classes, engaging for the first time, the Confessions of Faith in the Baptist Life, uh, especially 1689. So Tom Nettles gets a shout out. He's the one who really showed me that. Up to that point, I had been less uh, as far reformed in theology in full. I mean, I was Calvinist, but you know, there's way more to reform theology than just Calvinism. So Tom Nettles helps me explore that. I begin to read other books. Uh, I move from what's called progressive dispensationalism to new covenant theology to progressive covenantalism. And we'll talk about that stuff later to 1689 federalism at the time reading Pascal Denault's book that answered all my questions. But then through my wrestling with my PCA friend, I left 1689 federalism and I'm in my own camp, which is, you know, some sort of Westminster Baptist, the wrong camp, That's the what 20th camp century Baptist, whatever it is. Uh, I think it's the right camp. Whether I'm the only member in my camp or not, that, that's <laughs> fine. I'll talk to myself. So that's that's that. As far as philosophy goes, I thought philosophy was crazy and stupid. Uh, I actually took philosophy online when I was in college because I thought it was such a waste of time and I didn't understand it. And then lo and behold, here I am studying it for a living, at least at this point. And 
that was all because of an associate pastor in, in seminary who first brought engaged me in philosophy. And I realized how fundamental and useful and awesome it is. So from seminary on, I became just obsessed with philosophy for theological purposes. Yeah. And I don't, I don't remember if I said it earlier, but so my, uh, interest in philosophy is, is actually really new. I, I, I'd never taken a philosophy class at any, any level until, um, I had to take it, um, through Dr. Welty, um, for, a core class that I had to have for my MDiv. Uh, and after I took that, I was kind of like, man, this could really help me um, sharpen my thinking. So that was when I, I jumped into the MA program under Dr. Welty and, and just finished that up. So, um, yeah. Awesome. So we're run, we're almost to 30 minutes here. And that's one of the things I wanted to tell you about the podcast, some expectations. We're goal. Our goal is to be 20 to 30 minutes per episode. We don't want to be super long. We don't want to be two hours. We want to be three hours. We want to be 20, 30 minutes and kind of get in, get out, and be clear, and just have a conversation. We we don't want to have a lecture. We don't want to have a monologue. We want to just talk about these theological issues, these philosophical issues, have a good time, and we're going to have a lot of guests on because we think that guests are going to help um, us think. They're going to hopefully benefit you as a listener. Well, let let me something else that I wanted to say. You know, we we did say earlier that we wanted this to be you know um, a podcast that would challenge you know the listeners to to think um, clearly and more deeply and we want to say that we're coming at that from a, a, a place of humility not not that we think we've got all the answers or, or anything like that you know we're going to be learning as as we go as well so that's kind of why we want to um, have so many guests on um, because we you know we think that that'll just help us um, sharpen our own thinking and bring you good good content as well. Um, so, and also I, I'm pretty convinced that the less that I have to say anything, the, <laughs> the better off we'll be. So, um, but yeah, so the, the, I don't want to say that every episode we're going to have a guest cause that's just not the case, but I mean, we, we want to have guests on definitely really, you know, regularly. So that's kind of how we want to shape the show. Yeah. We've already got a couple lined up and the thing about guests it might end up going a little bit longer if they're really good conversation, who knows, but I assume if it's a really good conversation, you're going to enjoy it and want it to continue. Uh, as far as just us, we're going to keep it because I mean, yeah. And, and even, even if we have a long, uh, you know, interview with, with someone, we may still split that up into part one, part two. Yeah. I don't know, and that's just fair to keep it around 30 minutes. But, and the thing about our guests is I want to do my best to bring on normal guests. So if we have normal listeners, you can really kind of, <laughs> What do you mean normal? Uh, I mean, like just uh, someone who doesn't have all the degrees in education that's more just a normal church member who, right. you know, they have a normal job. Um, they're wanting to explore these things and they want to hear things that they understand. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not some super high level academic thing that they're using Latin words every third word, you know. Right. So I want to bring in a, a range of people. So we can learn from all range of different people on how to engage and think about the Christian faith, especially from our analytic Baptist covenant confessional perspective. Covenantal is fine too. I like that, uh, but confessional. So that's kind of us in a nutshell. We're excited about the coming episodes. We're excited about having you with us and we really hope you stick around and uh, benefit from it.
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.